0: Father God, use my words, speak through them. May there be gospel in our ears. May they help us to follow. Amen. I'm, sh- I'm sure you're aware of the old changing a light bulb jokes. You know, how many husbands does it take to change a light bulb? Just the one, though you'll have to remind them about 50 times. Or how many plumbers does it take to change a light bulb? Seven, one to actually fit the thing. Six to stand around asking what cowboy did the job last time. Or how many lawyers does it take to change a light bulb? How many can you afford? And there are a number of religious variations on the joke. Tomorrow's the start of the week of prayer for Christian unity so I'll tread carefully but yeah, how many Anglo-Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? To be honest, we prefer candles. How many evangelists does it take to change a light bulb? Just the one, the Louie really just preaches at it and hopes it will change. And then there was one, which was actually about another tradition, but let's take the joke upon ourselves. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb. What do you mean change? To be honest it's not just Baptists or Christians even. Many people struggle with the idea of newness or change. We may have invested a lot in a particular idea or project and letting go or even see it, seeing it done slightly differently can be quite difficult you laid the foundations, stuck with it in the hard periods. If you were blessed you might have thrived with it when the success was at its height. You sustained the vision. But it stopped working. It stopped serving the purpose it was made for. Sometimes keeping something going, it kind of becomes an end in itself. Equally we live in a world where being new, a novel of itself, can be seen as a good thing. You know, oh, it's best to cast off the old, bring in the new. But it might not always be helpful. I can think back about seven years to when I first came here and I was the new boy and some of the things I encountered I find quite strange. But more often than not, when I dug around, if I asked someone why we did it that way, they had a reasonably good reason. And change for change's sake isn't necessarily a good thing. Equally, I had a friend in social work who once said if she just stuck around long enough, what was new and novel this month would be old next month and set to be replaced by a new novel idea which remarkably looked like the old one that they'd just discarded. And sometimes the thing we're clinging to is not as ancient as we think. I did my degree in economics at St Andrews. It's a university which was absolutely drowning with traditions. But I knew one guy who had been around the university a lot longer than I had. He had studied there and then got a job working for the university. And he once joked with me that in St Andrews, a tradition was basically anything that happened more than once. We're following the story of Jesus as told by an early Christian called Mark. One of the things that we have noted along the way is that although Mark doesn't talk a lot about Jesus teaching and being a teacher, he tends to focus more on what Jesus did rather than what he taught. In particular, he doesn't include many of the parables or word pictures of Jesus. But in today's passage, we have a couple of them. In verses 21 and 22 no one uses a piece of new cloth to patch up an old coat because the new patch will shrink and tear off some of the old cloth making an even bigger hole. Nor does anyone pour new wine into used wineskins because the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the skins will be ruined. Instead new wine must be poured into fresh wineskins. The first is probably more self-explanatory than the second. I've got to admit, sewing, mending clothing, that sort of thing, not really my forte. But we recognise the wisdom. New cloth would have a greater tendency to shrink when it gets wet and starts to dry. So that lovely garment gets patched up, you stick a new piece of cloth on it, and then when you wash it, the patch doesn't survive. And it may even cause further damage to the original garment. The second is a bit more removed from us. Today, wine comes in bottles. In first century Galilee, they used goat skins to hold wine. And if you started with a new goat skin, it would be flexible and expand with the wine during the fermenting process. However, these skins were non-recyclable. Once used, they would become brittle and hard. And that meant if you tried to store new wine in a used skin, it wouldn't have that elasticity to withstand the fermentation process. And the skin would break and all that lovely new wine would be lost. The actual context of these words is over the issue of fasting. Most faiths find a place for fasting or self-denial. It's quite a countercultural thing to do, perhaps more in our present era than ever before. You know, we, li- we live in a kind of, if it feels good or it feels right, it can't be wrong type culture. If you want it, have it and have it now. Why wait? Buy now, pay later. Judaism actually only had one mandatory fast, and that was on the Day of Atonement, when the priest offered sacrifices for the sins of the people. When they returned from exile in Babylon, they added a few more. But by the first century, this had increased to twice a week, from sunrise to sunset. Strictly observant Jews would show how strictly observant they were by fasting on Mondays and Thursdays, from sunrise to sunset. However, there were times when they were exempt, such as when they went to a wedding. A wedding party could last a full week, and nobody fasted then. It was just full-on celebration. Whereas fasting was a sign of mourning or repentant in view of the coming judgment. It was a way of expressing longing for God to break into their world, to act and rescue them. And perhaps particularly the disciples of john the baptist were fasting because their leader was in prison facing execution at any moment or maybe it was just in keeping with their leader's message as a way of expressing repentance and calling on god to help them but what jesus is saying is now is not the moment for all that fasting expresses a longing for god to break into the world, and jesus says well I'm here. And Jesus He has. And Jesus has come announcing forgiveness. You don't need to fast to receive it, they already have it. I mean, if you feel terrible for hurting me, but I say, that's okay. I forgive you. Let's put it behind us. I don't want you spending the rest of your days feeling really glum and beating yourself up. I want you to accept the forgiveness and that's what Jesus is saying here. Immediately before this we have seen Jesus at a party. He has called the tax collector one who was completely cut off from the community and he has joined the community of Jesus' disciples. He throws a party and tries to introduce Jesus to his friends. Jesus isn't wanting Matthew to spend his time feeling horrible about his past. He's been given a new start and that's a cause for celebration and Jesus joins in with the party. Jesus isn't anti-fasting elsewhere in the seminal and the, the Mind. He assumes his followers will. And there are good reasons to practice fasting or some other form of self-denial for a season. It can help us realise how dependent or even addicted we are to so many things. It's something I sometimes call naming my idolatries. Noticing the things that absorb my time, my money, my energy, things I've become too dependent on. Things that may not be bad things of themselves, but I realise how important they've become to me and how I struggle to do without them. And they need to be kept in proper perspective, put in a proper place. Or even if I just need to stop taking them for granted so much. But I think there's something more general in these words of Jesus about the patches and the wineskins. In one sense they look identical, but there is a subtle difference between the two sayings. One is primarily about preserving the old, and the other is about protecting the new. One is about the new patch damaging the old cloth, and the other is about the old skins not being able to contain the new wine. Our faith is a tradition that is handed down from one generation to the next. But at the same time, it's a faith that is non-recyclable. We carry the good news of Jesus and his plans, purposes and promises for the world. And for 2,000 years we have been charged with passing that story down from generation to generation. But at the same time, each generation must learn to make that story its own. They must work out how that story is lived out, practiced, shared and passed on in their own generation. And that requires a process of discernment. Because the temptation to cling to the old will always be with us. It's what we know. It's what we've grown used to, perhaps what we're comfortable with. We've invested so much love and energy in it. It's been good for a period. But it can reach the point where this is how it's always been done. Becomes a reason in itself. And what we're doing may stop serving the purpose for which we started it and keeping it going has become the purpose. The Spirit may be trying to pour new wine into us but we're trying to contain it in old wineskins and we risk losing what God has for us in the process. But there is the opposite problem of assuming that everything new is good and right, and everything old is stale, bad to be dispensed with. And the Spirit calls us to hold what we have been given, lightly but carefully, to be ready to let go what no longer serves a purpose, but to know what is vital, important, And we need to be careful not to lose along the way. But how do we do that? There are a couple of questions which are worth asking, which can help us in that process of discernment. Is it sustainable? And is it sustaining? Letting things go is difficult, painful even. It can feel like a sense of failure. Maybe if something's been around, like seems like forever, it can feel like we're letting down the memory of those who held on to it for so long and went before us. But if we're not careful, more and more energy is invested in just keeping something going. And it gets harder and harder, breeding frustration, possibly even bitterness. that sense of failure when really all that's happened is it's served its purpose. It did its good and now it's done it. And a good indicator of that is when it is just unsustainable. When all the energy is spent trying just to keep the thing going. But also Is it sustaining? What purpose is it serving in our lives? How is it helping us grow as people? Is it making us more into people of faith, hope and love? Is it nurturing anyone? Or are we just doing what we've always done? Is this still working? One of the abiding images of the Bible is the journey. From Abraham packing up everything to go who knows where. To Jacob blessing Joseph's son while still holding on to the pilgrim's staff. To the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria onto the whole world. We're a people of movement. And all of us, young and old, are called to an elasticity of mind. Which is ready to be moved on, to be stretched lest we get too comfortable. The only time we should reach a conclusion is when we're dead. There is always something to discover, some way to grow. The image of following Jesus is an image of movement. We are formed on the way, in the midst of life. The Spirit is calling us to new expressions, to discern what needs to be kept, what sustains and helps us grow, and what we need to allow ourselves to just drop. Not out of failure, not because it's bad, but simply because it's served its purpose. May we be that pilgrim people, learning on the way, holding what's been entrusted to us lightly and carefully. May we learn the difference between what needs to be preserved and what can be let go. May we be fresh wineskins into which the spirit can pour new wine. Maybe this season is a time when we discover what is new that God has for us. May we learn to discern what is sustainable and sustaining, becoming people who pass on the tradition, but not clinging to. May we discover a faith for our own generation, a faith that's fresh, a faith that is ours, not someone else's, a faith that is non-recyclable. Grace and peace to you. Amen.